Because he is a good, kind, gracious, and loving God. And we sit here this morning to praise his name and to honor him for saving our souls. So let us rejoice in that. I love this church family. I love the Kentwood Christian Church. And I'm excited because I've got so many friends in this church family. And Greg, I do still have that small group, but the only way we could get you out was to act like we were going to shut it down. So, you know, but and now you're a small group leader and that's a blessing to the rest of the family. And you're always welcome at Faith Keepers. Okay. You fit in perfect. Oh man. And Ben, awesome, awesome thought. And especially what your daughter shared, how, how truthful is that for all of us? And we're just so thankful for Dave and Darcy Outbeer and, and their commitment to our children in the VBS program. They are such a spectacular, godly couple, and we are blessed. We're in part five of the sermon series, Timeless Truths for All Seasons. And I've tried to reinforce in your minds, especially as you go through life, that we need timeless truths that are bedrock to our faith, especially because we live in such truthless times. So we need those timeless promises that come from God. And we've looked at four wonderful truths that He's given us. And today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. If it's not the best-known passage of Scripture in all of the Bible, it's at least the second most known. Most people would probably identify as the first passage of Scripture that the world even knows is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you ever wonder why that verse, out of all the great verses, is the one that most people probably, in fact, do know the very best? It's the one that people hold behind the catchers at a baseball game or hold up because it's one that gets to the heart of what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ, that He has given His Son for us. And He's given us the opportunity to respond in faith to Him and find salvation and everlasting life. May God bless you this morning as we look at timeless truth number five that falls in a plethora of truths that I'll make mention of to some degree, but in verse four this morning out of Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is another passage of scripture that is loved. Most often, Psalm 23 is used at a funeral service or at a graveside because it is a passage of Scripture that deals with death. But also it is equally a passage that deals with life. What is interesting about Psalm 23 is where it falls in the Psalms. Psalm 22, 23, and 24 is known as the trilogy of Psalms because in Psalms 22 you have the Messianic prophecy of Christ, followed by Psalm 23, the great and good shepherd, 
followed by Psalm 24, the glory of the coming king. So you have in those three psalms the past, the present, and the future. And it's an interesting side note as you go home later and look at Psalm 23 in more detail that you realize in the first three verses, David seems to be talking about God. He uses he, he, he. And then we get to the transition of verse 4 where it is you. So one seems to transition to something that is more along the line of a deep personal relationship that we have with God. We all can speak about the greatness of God in our lives to ourselves, but we will be able to speak to Him and the personal relationship that we have with Him because Christianity is a relationship with God. It is not a perfunctory list that we check off of things that we do. It is a walk with the living Son of God that has given His life for each and every one of us. And so in Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now, this is the NIV version here, the newer NIV version. Most translations literally translate it, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And the emphasis really is, as David is talking about God to others himself, he's simply saying, as I look to my life that I live here on this earth, this is how I feel about the Lord. I feel in my heart that the Lord is my shepherd. And it's clearly to us what a shepherd does. We've talked about that in the previous weeks as we looked at elder nominations and elder qualities. A shepherd is someone that protects the sheep, loves the sheep, speaks to the sheep, feeds the sheep, cares for the sheep, is uh, very present in the life of the flock. Always overseeing, always watching carefully to make sure that no harm comes to the flock. David said, and I hope that you would think in your heart, the Lord is my shepherd. And because he is my shepherd, I have the peace, the calm, the reassurance that he's watching over my soul. And in this life, because he loves me to that degree, I lack Nothing. Now, most of us, probably because of the immaturity of our relationship with the Lord, might sit here and think, I lack something. You do not lack anything because of the Lord Himself. You may lack something because you're not looking to the Lord the way that you should be looking to Him as the shepherd. But David understood, the man after God's own heart understood that he was in want of no thing. That he lacked nothing because the shepherd provided 
what he needed. And you know as well as I do, needs and wants are different. But he, the good shepherd of your soul, gives you what you need at all times. And may your heart praise him as you confirm in your heart and soul and mind that you lack nothing. Do you lack nothing here today? I pray that you do. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. You know, if if you're not even a country boy, but if you've grown up in the country, there is something about a lush, green field that just makes you want to stop, look at it, take a picture of it with your cell phone. It's like a green pasture is a beautiful thing, especially if you look out and see God's creation and see the cattle or the deer. It's just like a green pasture, something that is brilliant and just wonderful for the mind and the heart. He takes us there and lets us rest. He leads us beside quiet waters, says David. We all know what a gentle stream does for the Spirit. There's nothing quite like going by some stream and just sitting there, quietly listening. There's a place down from my house, Cold Water Creek, that you can take a lawn chair and you can actually sit right in the middle of that stream in areas that it's not too deep and just let that flow past you, that cool, refreshing water and just listen to the birds and listen to the sound of the creek and it just rests the soul. So God has this way of working in our lives as our shepherd because he knows we need his peace and we need his rest and we need his reassurance and his refreshment in our lives. That's what your good shepherd does for you. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths or any scriptures, the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, I saw something last week in preparing for this message that I'd never seen before in this verse right here. Oh, I'd seen the, the, the proactive part of God himself. He guides me. He takes the lead. He's directing my course of life like we talked last week, that we have all these plans in our hearts of how we want something to happen, the way that it's going to work out. But God determines our steps. Here we see that again. God determines our steps as He guides us along the right paths because there are right paths and there are wrong paths for your life. There is the broad and wide road that will lead you to destruction. And then there is the narrow road and that narrow gate that will lead you to Jesus Christ and life. There are right paths. And if He is your shepherd and you are leaning on Him, He is telling you that He is going to take you down the right path. And if you're not on the right path, it isn't because God doesn't want you there, but God is not going to 
fight you. And God is not going to force you. Oh, God will discipline you in your life. And God will bring people and circumstances to try to get your attention that you're veering off. He'll try to speak to your heart. But you have to want the good shepherd to lead and to guide and to refresh and to restore. But here's the part in the passage that I didn't see. And it wasn't because I hadn't seen it for years. It was simply because, you know, some things you see and some things you don't. For his namesake. For his namesake. You know, sometimes we make our Christian faith all about us. And we all understand why we do that, because it's us, right? We're, we're worried about us. And we make it all about us and that, that God is doing all these things for us. And that may even be true. But there is either, even a higher calling to why God is doing what He does in our lives. And it's for His name's sake, which is another way of saying God does things in the life of His church, His people, His flock that He shepherds for His glory to come out of it. It's probably true that right now God is guiding you in His paths and you may not even realize it, acknowledge it, or profess it. But He's doing what He's doing in your life and He's going to bring it complete to completion by His power for His name's sake. Ultimately, everything we are, everything we accomplish is by His strength, by His power, and by His goodwill. And it's for His name's sake because He is God. And He is a good God and a kind God. And He wants the very best for you. And He wants you to love Him back to some degree the way He loves you. For His name's sake. Our lives are meant to bring glory to God. Is your life, is your life bringing glory to God? Are you using your life to bring glory to God? And then we come to our passage of Scripture, which holds so many wonderful promises. Even though, even though it sets us up to know that some not-so-good stuff may follow. Even though, I absolutely love the James Version on this translation. Yay, though. It just, it just like, it really gets your attention. Yay, though. But here, it's even though. Even though what? Though I walk through the darkest valley, or even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So here is the picture for you and I and every soul that lives in this world, and especially here for God's people, even though I walk. I love the word here and how it fits into this psalm when it says walk. Because in this story, this picture, we see God's people walking, walking. And it's 
connected with the valley of the shadow of death, which when we talk about death, it just strikes fear in most of us. It really does. And we have to ask ourselves why. And and we understand the reason that we fear death is we don't want to leave the people that we love. It's hard to say goodbye. We don't like the premature death of of little children because they missed a full life. That's our way of seeing things. But this idea of walk, why not even though I run through the valley of the shadow of death? He doesn't use the word run, it's walk. When you're afraid and in certain situations, do you walk? I was riding my bike once, and a dog came out of nowhere, a big dog. And maybe it looked big on the bike because I was pedaling, and he was moving faster than I was pedaling, but he was at me. And by the time I got my feet unclipped and got him between me and the bike, and his owner had called him back, I guarantee you, if I wasn't on that bike, I would have been running because I was scared to death. So isn't it interesting that as we look out in our own lives of the shadow of death, the people of God walk. We don't run. We walk. And we walk because we know the Good Shepherd is there watching over us. We know that we can walk because we have peace that He is with us. So what is it in your life? What fears? What worries? What concerns? You see, the people who don't know God, they run after this. They chase after that, says Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. But that's not us. And the reason, the reason that we sometimes run in situations of fear is because of the panic. But when we come to our senses, we can slow down and know that the Lord is with us. And because he's with us, we don't have to fear. Even though I walk. Now, you notice this word, this preposition, through. Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't walk in it. In it conveys the idea that you're there to stay. But you're not there to stay because this is a temporary state. You're walking through it. And when is the last time A shadow has ever caused you harm. A shadow can't cause you harm. It's a shadow of death. The shadow of death can cause you no harm. The shadow of a biting dog cannot hurt you. The shadow of a sword cannot kill you. 
and the shadow of death cannot harm you because it's been robbed of its very essence. The shadow of death is actually the doorway into eternal life. And so you start to see that there is a blessing in this shadow of death because it is the gateway that leads us into our immortality. And it is that place as we walk through it with Lord that we receive all the joys and all the happinesses and all the sorrows and all the struggles and all the weaknesses are gone. And hopefully you start to see that that death is not as frightening for the believer that grows in the trust of the shepherd that's walking with him as it is for the rest of the world. The scriptures talk about that in the New Testament that we as believers are not to fear death like the rest of the world because we have hope. And the hope is the promise of God. Promise that we are His. Promise that we have immortality. Promise that we have a new heavenly body. Promise that we will be with Him. Do you remember Paul in the book of Corinthians when he talks about, I think my time may be close. And I want to depart. And I want to be with the Lord. But maybe God will keep me here because... I'm needed on this earth for you and for the ministry that he's given me. Remember when J. Henry was here talking about his ministry in India? Talking about the idea that he'd been shot at, his life threatened along with his son-in-law. Do you guys remember that? I mean, and what did he stand there and say? And it's probably the first time I've heard someone say it that I actually believed it. If I am killed doing the Lord's work, then I win. And if I am not killed and I continue doing the Lord's work, I win. But either way, I win. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I don't have to fear any kind of evil. Why? For thou art with me. And out of all these truths in Psalm 23, the promise and the timeless truth for today is the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you if you are His. And I've got to be clear here. The Lord is with you if you have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have been redeemed. If you have confessed your sin. If you have repented. If you have been baptized. The Lord is with you. He's always with you. He gives His Spirit to live in you. The Lord is with you. You're never alone. When I say you're never alone, it it reminds me of talking to different people through life about... I love to talk to young people. What was the the hardest thing to get used to when you first got married? I remember what BJ said. I'm never alone. She's always there. Now, that wasn't a bad way. 
But it's just like, you got to get used. They're always there. This text says that God is always with you. Do you believe that? Then what do you have to fear? What do you have to fear? Is there anything that you have to fear? Because you've got the best of life. We've been babysitting since Thursday, so you know how well-rested I feel. And especially Danielle, because she does it, most of it. I get to play and watch her give them baths and make the food and clean them up. But I think the first night she was so exhausted and she woke up from a terrible dream, almost came in the room to get, because I sleep in the room with one, she sleeps in the room with the other, and we make sure they're all safe. She said, I had a dream that you were doing one of your triathlons and had a heart attack. Lord, let's pray that that was a dream and not a vision. She goes, I don't know if I want you to do them. And I said, honey, look, if I have a heart attack doing a triathlon running or drown out in the lake swimming, you'll know that I died living life to the fullest. You'll know that I died loving God. I don't want to die wasting away somewhere if I don't have to because I've seen that. And I don't have no death wish, man, because when you get in that water, you swim. No pauses. If something touches your feet, you swim harder. But God's given us life. The good shepherd is with me. I'm never alone. When God calls me home, he'll call me home. My prayer is that it'll be up in the pulpit that I'll be preaching, and that's where he'll call me home. May God do that. But whatever it is, wherever it is, whatever the timing is, it's okay. This valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear, and I've got to take ownership of that, and so do you. If we fight a disease, if we get the diagnosis that's not good, yeah, we're flesh and blood, and it shocks our system. But the Lord is with us. No matter what we face, no matter what we go through, this valley of shadow of death cannot harm me. It is just a shadow, and the essence of death has been disrupted by the God of life because Where there's a shadow, there's light. And that light is from the heavenly realms flowing out of the cross through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. We have victory in Christ. Where, O death, Paul says, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? That's what Paul says. The sting of death is sin and the 
power of sin is the law, but thanks be to our God through Jesus Christ, we have victory. So go out, live life, walk through life, enjoy life, find peace in life, touch others, share with others this beautiful psalm, what they can have, because this is about life, not just about death. Besides being with me, your rod and your staff, they bring me comfort. There was a shepherd's rod that would be used to protect the sheep from predators and wild animals that could be used as a, like a bull bat, basically to beat animals off. And then there was the shepherd's staff, the walking stick, that he would be able to use to rescue animals that were in distress because they'd slipped, fallen into a crevice, whatever it might be. Often, as the sheep would come in at night or go out in the morning, the staff would be used to touch as the sheep were counted. And always knowing how many sheep go out, how many sheep come in. Your rod and your staff, Lord, they bring me comfort. They bring me comfort. And I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but is your God that you have believed in, that you've taken your stand, are you looking to Him in such a way that He truly is bringing you comfort? Or are you in a relationship with God, but because of the world and everything that's going on in your life and the chaos, that there's panic and you're looking somewhere that you shouldn't be looking not trusting when you should be trusting, and so you don't have comfort that comes from God. The reality is, the Scriptures teach us throughout that it does not matter what we face or go through. If we are there with God, leaning on His everlasting arm, we can have comfort and peace in every situation of life. We can't control it. We want to control things. We want to control people. We want to control outcomes. Only God can control things. And so we rest in Him and we just continue to walk with Him until the day He calls us home. And then we have the total victory. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I know I've experienced this in my life again and again as a minister. People want to come up against you for all these different reasons. I know I experienced it in the workplace. I hear it from you guys all the time, the situation that you're in. People aren't your friends. They're not your partner in life like God is. And God says, you're mine. In the presence of those that would do you harm, I'm going to bless you. So don't try to manipulate. Don't try to control. Just walk with me and I will bless you. And he gives this beautiful picture of this table that God prepares, this feast that God prepares for His people. You anoint my head. This 
this anointing, this blessing of oil to show that, that God has set you apart as his child and my cup overflows. Ben said something that I think needs reinstated during his communion talk. When he said, you know, you can eat food and a few hours later you're starving again. Isn't that the way it is with Chinese food? You eat like Chinese food and you go home, it's like two hours later, I'm starving. That's because all you did was drink sugar. But he said, you eat, you're hungry. But with Christ, when you take Christ into yourself, Jesus says, it will be a fountain that will overflow and that will bubble up to overflowing. With Christ, you are filled, totally filled, and always filled. This doctrine, this, as far as I'm concerned, false teaching that you hear on TV and people, give me more of God. You've evidently just need to hear a little bit from Jesus. Because once you have Jesus, you are a fountain bubbling over. And yes, we can all passively submit to the Lord more in our lives. In that sense, more of you and less of me. But if you have Christ, you have it all. You are full and your cup is overflowing because you're God's. You're never lacking anything. Surely goodness and love or goodness and mercy, as some translations, will follow behind me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Look at that last line. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever as His love, goodness, and mercy chases me through this life. And once this life is over, I enter into God's house. Don't you love your house? I don't care if it's a big house. I don't care if it's a mansion. Just, it doesn't matter if it's an apartment. Maybe even if it was a box. I don't know what it is, but your spot. There's something about being home. Being home. I just remember Lisa Hampel, the daughter of Bill Brimmer, when he passed away. That's what really struck her. Dad is finally home. And I look forward to that place where God has prepared for all of us a room. Because in his house, there's many rooms. And we're going to dwell there. Not for a time. Not for a little while. But forever and ever. For eternity. Does that bring you some comfort and peace knowing that's what God has for you? It does me. And something that's not in the text but something that I think in any church, any church throughout the land, Kentwood as well, and something, <clears throat> something that we 
often become numb to for whatever the reason is uh, this the sense of a fire in our bones a prayer for revival that these types of timeless truths could be shared by us with family and I know that's hard at times with friends that can be the most difficult and intimidating because they may reject you a stranger you got to really get the timing right there but this timeless truth that the Lord is with us is something that is so valuable. It's like the pearl of great price that once you have it, you've got to do everything you can to, to cling to it because you know the value of it. But it's something that we, we, we share. And so I'm asking this morning as we wrap up part five with this, you are with me, God. That genuinely in your life, your connections, you will pray that God revives you, puts a fire in your bones to share timeless truths, which is sharing God, which is the big word evangelism, so that others who are misguided, blinded, led astray, may see something they've heard maybe all their lives, but they may actually see because God uses you to touch their heart with this, what He has promised and done for me. Can we pray that together through the rest of this year? Because where two or three gather in his name, God does mighty and wonderful things. And you know as well as I do, when you see someone come to the Lord, someone who turns to Christ, someone who repents, it's such a wonderful thing to see that life that was lost now saved. And you start to see the reason that Luke tells us there's this celebration and feast. I know it's difficult. It's difficult for ministers. Setting in Panera Bread last week with the friend I told you about over the past five or six years who in Faith Keepers had a big breakthrough finally acknowledging God and realizing that he was hostile to God for many of the wrong reasons. And that he looks back in his life, especially in Cambodia and Vietnam, that there's times that he probably wanted to go left, but for some reason he went right and his life was spared because there was a purpose by God. It finally came down because of a series of events that had taken place in his life that I could speak. You claim to be a Christian, but you, my friend, are not a Christian. You're not a Christian. And that's not me being arrogant. But you're not living your life for the Lord. It's not a checklist. I was baptized when I was a boy. 
It's not a checklist. I'll say this and then go on with my life and do whatever I want and live for myself. It's not a checklist. You are lost and doomed to eternal wondering and separation from God. His eyes began to fill up with tears. He said, you're right. I said, years ago when I told you to finish strong, this is what I'm talking about. Finish strong, taking the Lord's hand and living the remainder of life with Him. You're 70 years old. You don't have much time left. And he agreed for the first time to study the Bible with me on a weekly basis. Now, I know there's people in your life like that. And when God moves in you, they need to hear these truths. I can't do it alone. Justin can't do it alone. Matthew can't do it alone. This is we're all servants of the Most High God. And so let us pray for revival. Let us have a passion to see the move of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people as we point them to Jesus. And my prayer is this morning, if that is you and you've not confessed His name, not been obedient to baptism, that the Lord would move you through His Spirit or a friend encouraging you to consider the Lord, but to surrender your life for Him. Surrender. My friend told me, you know, Patrick, that word is foreign to me, surrender to God. I grew up in Muskegon Heights, a lower class, blue-collar worker. We had to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. That old phrase came in, had to do it all for ourselves. I said, yes, and how's that worked for you? It's not. That's why you have anger in your eyes. That's why you're always mad. It's why you lose your temper. It's why you're out of control. It doesn't matter what kind of group therapy you go to. It may help keep you sensitive to what's going on in your life so that you don't get too out of control. But there is only one person that can truly bring peace and restore the life that he wants you to have. And you have allowed situations and people and circumstances to make you something other than God wants you to be. Don't let people change you into something that God does not want you to be. And only God, through Jesus Christ, and that victory can transform the way we think, what we experience, the way we feel, and the ultimate salvation and victory in Him. And so I leave that before you this morning. Sacrifice. Surrender. Do what's right. Even when it's hard, do what's right. And God will guide you all the way. Father in heaven, we praise Your name. We are a people that believe that Your Scriptures, the Bible, is the eternal truth for each and every soul that will ever exist on this earth. It is for all times. It is infallible. And Father, we stand on the power of your word. Let it be a light to our path. And may hearts be changed today and in the future as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.